welcome folks to another episode of That's Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing to help you create a happier life. This is the end of the series that we featured from This Is My Brave, the national nonprofit organization dedicated to ending the stigma surrounding mental illness by using storytelling. My guests have been sharing their stories for you to learn how to change your life for the better. And this week, my guest is no different. She has a wonderful name. My guest today, her name is Nita Vaught. <laughs> She's a writer, speaker, and mental health advocate who watched her mother suffer from mental illness. Nita, what did you see in your mom growing up? What's your first memory of something here that's just not quite right? Um, so my first memory of that, um, I was in bed, sleep, and I heard my grandmother and my mother arguing, but I could hear my mother, her voice changed, okay. and it kept changing, and I had no idea what was going on, so I came out the room, and my grandmother was just like going off. My mother was like, no, I have to put on this red dress and finish the march. I had no idea what was going on in that mm -hmm. moment. And then later on, it just started progressing. Um, my grandmother really tried to um, protect me from it, but it was really hard to kind of <laughs> keep you away from your mama and not really know. Mm -hmm. um, there were things like me and her would get into it. I always felt like there was something about me that she was, I don't know, I always felt like, oh wow, like what's so different with me? My brother was more of a comfort to her. Okay. Um, things like, uh, I noticed she slept a lot. Um, there were even times uh, I would, she would feed herself, but she would hide it and forget that she put the food in the closet. Okay. Um, it was it was just so many different. Now, did your things. grandmother live with you all? I, we lived with my grandmother. Okay. So my grandmother was pretty much the person who raised me. So even though my mother was there, grandma was my right. mother. She was the one that fed you us. Going nowhere with my baby. Exactly. <laughs> and I I really got close to my grandmother. And growing up, you know, I always felt like I I used to say, you know, grandma, like you know, she doesn't like me, and she's like, no. Nita, don't think that it's her mental illness. And I'm so your grandmother was forthright with you. She was open with you that your mom had a mental illness. Yeah, yeah, she was later on as I got older because it wasn't it wasn't any way to hide it. I mean, there were times that I've seen my mother sit on the couch and just cry, and she'll become a nine year old kid, um, and she would go into this phase of a nine year old little girl. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen her go into a phase of a woman named Carolyn all these different and, and I never understood it because as a kid deep down inside I was like you know um I promise not to cry deep down inside I felt like um I knew something was wrong but a part of me kind of hated my mom because I felt like a mother should fight like as a mother mm -hmm. you should fight like you shouldn't have to go through this you have kids I'm looking at all of my friends and I've had friends who had parents who was on drugs and they would be missing for months. And then on their birthdays, they would come back with earrings and necklaces and yeah. all types of stuff. And here I am, my mom isn't on a drug at all. And she doesn't even remember my birthday. And sometimes she says I wasn't her daughter. So growing up, it, it was tough, it was tough. And then when I was 15, my mom decided she wanted to up and move and she moved to California. 
and I fooled her. I made her miss the plane. I was like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> and my grandmother was at church. That was her comfort place. She was at church and um, I made my mom miss the, the, the bus that takes you to the airport. Mm -hmm. So we had a neighbor and I called my grandmother from the neighbor's house. So when she looked on her call ID at the time, she looked and saw this weird number. She was like, they shouldn't be here. Why is this 301 number here? And um, she came and got me and we, I left and went to my grandmother's house. And then my mother came about a couple days later, said she was just coming to pick my brother up and she was going to just bring him back. And I told him, I said, he was, oh God, I think he was like seven or eight at the time. Oh. I said, make sure mom bring you back. Don't let her take you away because it's just you and me. And you know, he's young, so he's just like, okay, you know. Mm -hmm. And she called some hours later and she was like, oh, hey, I was just calling to tell you that I'm in California. And that was the day I was 15 and I'll never forget. And I have to admit to this, my hate for her grew stronger. I loved her, but I hated her. It's like, how can you leave? How, how long were you separated? Till I was 18. But she would call, she would like send me packages and mm -hmm. you know, dresses and stationaries and things like that. And um, I don't think I accepted it. I was just like, mm -mm, I don't how want it. How long were you and your brother apart? We were apart from 15 to 18. Okay. So when so I, stayed. yeah, he stayed with my mom and I stayed with my grandmother. And my grandmother, I have to give it to her because she's from the old school, you know? And so it's like, you know, she, she helped me build my faith because, you know, it was like, how do you raise a kid in this generation? You know, my generation totally changed. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a 80s baby. My grandmother is born in 1942. Mm -hmm. and, you know, she's trying to take care of this teenage kid, you know, and she didn't know what to do. And so the best thing she knew how to do was feed you, clothe you, put the word inside of you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you had church and Sunday at church. Mm -hmm. You had church uh, in the house. <laughs> you had Bible study. And I, and I have to say that all of those things really built me to who I am and where I was going to be later. So hold on, because growing up, you said you always noticed things, mm -hmm. right? So was there ever a time when your grandmother sat you down and had a serious conversation with you and put a label on what your mom had? No, definitely not. Because at that time, we did not know what this was. Okay. The way my grandmother actually found out that my mother was diagnosed with any type of mental illness, because you have to understand, in the community, in our community, right. it is definitely a stigma. Yes. You don't talk about it. You don't talk about and it. Pretty, you don't tell right. anybody. Exactly. And if the neighbors do find out, they help you hide it. Exactly. Everything <laughs> is hidden. Take it to the Lord. <laughs> tell him about your troubles. And I'm like telling him about my troubles, but I'm getting in trouble. So, you know, all of those things, you know, it, it was just so different. And, it, and she never set me down. But I will say when she first found out about my mom, okay. the story is my mom actually went silently to a therapist. She didn't tell anybody she was hearing voices. Um, in 1987, my mom was hit by a car in California. And they actually say that the body may heal, but the mind doesn't. And so she started experiencing things. And I do believe that my mom probably started to experience things as a teenager or when she was younger at some point and kind of didn't know what it was. So you keep going and then like traumas comes along and then you don't know what to yeah. do. Yeah. And so the, um, 
the psychiatrist, they, they were giving her medicine there and she wouldn't wake up, she was so tired. And so the, uh, they had no choice but to bring her home. And he knocks at the door with my mom on his shoulder. My grandmother's like, who are you? <laughs> and he was like, look, because you know, you have HIPAA, you're not supposed to tell, but they had to tell. So yeah. that's how my grandmother found out. And it was something, my grandmother worked in the hospital but she worked in environmental services. She's seen a lot of things and she kind of knew about mental illness because she worked near psych wars and things like that. But it was very close to her because now this is her child. And so she had to learn more about it. So, you know, she had friends who were physicians and things mm -hmm. like that to kind of help guide her like what this thing was. Okay. And then uh, I guess a lot of other things that she's kind of remembered kind of just stood out to her a little bit more like, oh, there's something going on. Um, so my grandmother, I will say, I. I give it to her she don't in there. yeah she 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 never judged my mom I mean but she was very strict though because she could she was the only one that could calm her down to be honest um but those moments that we couldn't calm her down my grandmother would you know find help to get her treatment um did any of those doctors ever give it a name yes my mom is diagnosed with bipolar and paranoid schizophrenia okay major depression and um I will, I will say that even to this day, my mother will tell you there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and as a child, you felt like your mom didn't like you. Oh God, yes. I was like, why are you always yelling at me? You know, because I remember memories at like five and four years old. My mother is an artist and she wrote a lot of poetry mm -hmm. and she wrote short stories and I would sneak, you know, when everybody was asleep after she would get off the typewriter and mm -hmm. I would sneak and read all of her poetry and it would make me cry. And I would wonder mm -hmm. was she writing about me because I felt like I was searching. Like, yeah. did you care or tell me a story about myself yeah. or, you know, so those things, you know, she did that and we would paint. And it all just went away later on. She never had a passion again for that. My mom also was a model and a makeup artist and she did all these things. Like she taught me how to walk in hills and she taught me how to put on makeup and she taught me how to do the, you know, the model face. So you did have a lot of relationship building activities. Mm -hmm. So did that change? It changed. As you got older? It changed as I got older. Um, our communication was really weird. So if I talked to my mom and I asked for something, she would ignore me. Or I would get really angry and I would just kick the walls. And I'm like, I'm screaming and yelling. She's not paying me no attention. She'll just sit there. And I would get so mad. But if I wrote to my mom and slipped a note under the door, she would answer me. And so till this day, I slip a note under the door <laughs> and this is how me and my mother actually conversate. <laughs> because if I, sit, if I try to talk to her, you know, she doesn't, um, it's like we're is bumping your, heads. Is your grandmother still living? My grandmother is living, okay. but I take care of grandma now. My grandmother recently had two major strokes in December. Well, that wasn't what I was thinking. Grandma keeps mom settled. Yeah. So, are you prepared when grandmom is no longer available to provide <sighs> that boundary of so I will say I always felt like I am the head of the family and okay. I felt like my grandmother was the one who prepared me for something I did not ask for <laughs> So I literally have taken, okay. like I took care of my mom even when I was younger okay. and you know, and I would help her out, you know, because she was hit by a car, I would help her bandage her wounds, I would help her read, I would, 
actually write checks because she couldn't read okay. very well. So I would yeah. read letters and sign off checks and do everything. And um, even with my brother, I would help, you know, take care of my little brother. And so now that I have five kids of my own, I have my mom who I still care for. I have my grandmother who I'm caring for. And I have my brother out too. So I'm, I'm preparing myself now. But the way that I'm preparing, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's wrong or right. Mm -hmm. But I'm using the faith to know, like, Grandma said, I'm not always going to be here. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I know I have to learn how to lean on God. How do I do that? So I'm learning to lean on God and build friendships. It's sometimes easy, but it gets hard. We'll be right back to hear more about Nita's <laughs> heart-wrenching, unbelievable, extraordinary story wow. of growing up with a mom that was bipolar and paranoid schizophrenia. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if, with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self? It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy shares how to resolve emotional baggage and feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. And we're back with Nita and her amazing <laughs> triumph of being a soldier in the trenches, surviving a mom that is a bipolar, paranoid, schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. But you said to this day, she will say that nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? Wow. I walk away sometimes and I've asked my mom to get help. But because the way the system is, it doesn't allow me to help her. But I can help someone else, which is really weird. <laughs> but to be able to say, hey, something's wrong with my mom and I need her admitted, that's not gonna happen. Um, the system isn't working for people like myself that know that something's wrong with a family or loved one to just have them to go get help. They have to say when something's wrong, which for me is hard because she's not gonna tell you anything is wrong. And when you don't take care of your mental health, you can't take care of your physical health. So when you have all these other th odds against you, it's like you're watching the person you love just die because the system isn't gonna let you help them, you know? And you have to say when something's wrong, you know? So they say, you know, when something's wrong, go to an emergency room, we'll call 911. Well, guess what? I've gone to the emergency room and said, I said something was wrong. And you can clearly see something was wrong. But for me, the experience was you have to be homicidal or suicidal in oh. order to get the help. Because when I did go, they was like, nothing's wrong. Everything's okay. And I'm like, no, uh-uh. And it changed me. Mm -hmm. um, 2009, I attempted suicide and I was done. I was like, I had three kids at the time. I called my grandmother. I wanted her to not ask God questions why. Mm -hmm. And I needed her to know I loved her and tell my kids. How did you attempt it? 
Well, I, um, that year for me was pretty rough. And just, I think that was the camel that just, you know, the straw that broke the camel's mm -hmm. back for mm -hmm. me. It was, I had all these other things that were going on in my life way before. And then this right here happens. I'm faced again. I've lost my car. Mm -hmm. I had two jobs that I lost. My kids had lost their daycare. I'm home every day. I'm just not happy. I'm losing friends that I thought were my friends. Mm -hmm. I have nobody to reach out to. Mm -hmm. My relationships were horrible. And so my kids, I had three kids at the time, and they left out with their father to go out. And I was like, okay, this is what's about to happen. And so I just cried and I cried. And I was like, mm-mm. I took some pain meds. I took like two or three bottles of pain meds. And I called my grandmother. And then I kind of just kind of faded out a little bit. And I was going to the kitchen because I wanted to numb myself before I slit my wrist. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I must have passed out in between grabbing the knife because all I remember is trying to like staggered towards the kitchen grabbing the knife, okay. but I didn't slip my wrist. And um, my kid's father happened to come in and he found me. And unfortunately my kids had to see that. Um, until this day, they still have vague memories. And then when I got sent to the hospital, I woke up two days later on the psych unit. So that for me was like the moment I could never hide like what was going on anyway, because I was always, I when I look back, I think I always kind of dealt with depression mm -hmm. and anxiety, but you don't think kids do it. Yeah. You don't think kids go through it. It's like more of an adult thing. They so, think that. Right, so nobody kind of question it. And if something's wrong, you know, I had a grandmother, you know, take it to the Lord, mm -hmm. <laughs> get on your knees. Cast <laughs> 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 all your troubles. <laughs> and so I did all of those things and I cried and I cried and I was like, God, you hear the kids and I'm crying. and. I didn't hear anything, and I was like, what's the point? Like, I never could get anything. How did your kids process what they saw? They were very young, so they, the only thing, it was like, mommy, what you on the floor for with that knife? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I found myself doing the same thing. My grandmother, you know, tried to, with me, like, kind of forget things. Like, don't, just forget about it, it never happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, Lord, those kids, <laughs> they don't, um, <laughs> they don't forget nothing. So they definitely, um, they don't talk about it to this day. But in 2015, I had another episode. It wasn't a suicide attempt, but I started going through major depression again. I had a stroke in 2015 at wow. 33, overweight, unhappy, job like looking for a job trying to keep a roof over the kids heads mm -hmm. and I found myself faced with that trigger again of just disappointment and so um my wait time this time to find hope was a lot longer you know the first time I attempted suicide so I, I was forced Emergency. to get the help yes. mm -hmm. but this time I did everything by the book I went to my doctor's office, I went to the emergency room. I said something was wrong, and yet nobody did anything. The appointment time for a psychiatrist was four months. And then when I got there, after four months of waiting for a psychiatrist, my appointment should have been 45 minutes, and it was 10 minutes. So the disappointment kicked in again, and it was, why do I have to be treated this way? You guys have us to come here just because you serve a lot more than underserved communities, why is it we get this treatment? 
But when you say something and you look the way that I looked at the time, just I was I was I was in major depression and you could see it all over me. I couldn't even speak. I couldn't come out my door. I couldn't even go to the grocery store. My grandmother had to take care of my children. My brother assisted with giving, getting them back and forth to school. I completely hid myself from the world. But at some point I told myself that I had to definitely pick myself up because if I didn't, I had two choices. This time, either I was gonna live or I was gonna die. Mm -hmm. And I started searching because I felt like doctors weren't giving me an answer. So I started searching about things that I can do. I searched, researched my diagnosis. That was the first thing I did. Okay. And when I researched- When did you get the diagnosis? Um, From the previous in, time? In 2009, yeah. yeah. So in okay. 2009, I was um, diagnosed with um, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder okay. and PTSD. And, um, and when I went back in 2015 and I went through major depression again, I, you know, they, I had those diagnoses and I was still showing those same diagnoses. So um, I just started to research. A lot of times what happens is, especially in our communities, you get a diagnosis, here you go, your script. Yeah. And that's how it goes. And so this time I needed to know what it was because I was fighting for my way out. And my kids were watching me this time and they're teenagers now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be up in the middle of the night I started hearing voices. I would cry. My first night, I woke up at three in the morning with the episode of hearing voices. I was like screaming, get get it out. And I grabbed a journal that I had and a pen and I just started scribbling okay. on it, trying to catch what I was hearing. But I was screaming, please make it go away. And my mom and grandmother was standing there. I was like, we don't hear anything, calm down. And I couldn't, it probably lasted maybe a minute or so, but it felt like forever. And in that moment, I was like, God, if I have to live my life like this, I can't do it. Now I can mend my mother because I don't know how she's still living. It's a hard pill to swallow and it's hard to go through that. I just started realizing the challenges of not only for myself as a mother, but I fell through the cracks of the system that tells you say something when something is wrong. And then I did and you ignored me. So I had to fight my way through because I wasn't gonna leave the system to take care of my kids. Mm -hmm. And I needed to break the generational cycle. And for me, I, I felt like if I had to just go ahead and completely become vulnerable, then I'll do that. So that's how I started to share my story. Um, I did things different. I still prayed to God, but I learned meditation. I still prayed to God, but I learned how to do mantras. I still pray to God, but I walk 30 minutes a day because it said it'll make the anxiety go away. Right, de-stressing. De <laughs> right, and when I did that, I would leave out before my neighbors would come outside and I would leave out before, you know, really early in the morning and just go around the block in circles. And um, in about four months, while I'm trying to get rid of the anxiety, it also helped with other things. I started to lose weight. Um, my mm -hmm. A1C started to come down mm -hmm. and doctors was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm about to get off of this medicine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was so funny because I realized then I was like, wow, nobody teaches you this. And so what happens is in my community, we're told to just go to the doctor, you get your diagnosis, you get your script and you go on. But nobody tells you what depression they is. They don't equip you with the tools right. to actually manage it yourself. They don't. However, 
as you were sharing with us during the break, you have significantly changed your generational cycle because pay attention to this exercise that she does with her kids when she picks them up from school every day. <laughs> now it's five, right? Yes, I have five. My twins just started school this year. And their year. ages are? 15, 14, 11 going on 12, and I have five-year-old twin boys. And you drop them off and pick them up every day. Mm -hmm. And when you pick them up from school, what happens? When I pick them up from school, I ask everybody to tell me about their day. And they have to tell me about their day, even if they have to say a curse word. <laughs> she is freely allowing her kids to speak their minds and be themselves so that they feel, one, they know they have someone to come to. Oh, definitely. And two, they get to vent. Yes, yes. I believe in the art of expression. Um, I remember for myself as a kid, I felt like nobody really got my personality. Mm -hmm. So people would say, oh my gosh, you just talk too much. Nita, go sit down somewhere. Now, how are you expressing yourself during This Is My Brave? So I am actually writing a short story. So I'm expressing myself by sharing a bit of my story of where I've been, what I've gone through um, growing up fatherless, um, being molested, um, bad relationships, single mother of five, living in an underserved community, surviving a stroke, <laughs> and my mental illness that I'm like, I'm gonna beat it, it's not gonna beat me. Too many for me. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing all of this? You know, um, I ask myself that sometimes, like how am I doing this? Honestly, Faith, and not only that, I have also learned that those people that I thought that I was losing and the turmoil that I was going through mm -hmm. wasn't such a bad thing at all. And I also learned that in order for God to even give me the desires of my heart, I have to make room for new people and new relationships. So I've learned what a friendship is. I've learned <laughs> associates. I've learned business partners. <laughs> I've learned these things. Everybody has a place in my life. And, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm very careful about um, who I allowed to get close to me. But those who are really, really close to me are my people that I know that's gonna be there to lift me up. So if I feel that I'm having a moment, and I've had a moment like a month ago, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm crying every day. What's, right, and right. this time what made it different was I said something to people. I said, I would tell my brother, can you kind of watch me? I feel like something's wrong, I'm crying a lot. Or I called my best friend, I'm like, I can't stop crying. And, you know, and so I went to my doctor and we came up with a 30 day treatment plan. And so I realized like it's OK for me to say when something's wrong and if I have to get back on that medicine again, trust me, I will. I'm not fighting it this time. And I even talked to my kids and I allowed my kids to be a part of my journey because I don't want to hide from them. I need them to know, especially sometimes when the house gets noisy. <laughs> Calm down a little bit. But yeah. Knowledge is power for your kids. It is. It is. And in order for me to break the generational cycles, I have to say something yeah. because we're all going to go through some sort of trials in our lives. And so I need to equip them on how we deal with this. How do we mm -hmm. talk about this? How do you express mm -hmm. yourself? Mm -hmm. And even how do you learn to love yourself? Because my 11 year old has anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. So she comes to me and we do like meditation together. Mm -hmm. My five year olds, if you tell them, let's pray, they're going to go like this, <laughs> you know? So it's definitely, um, you know, and, and then writing. So I, okay. I do a lot of writing and I also um, just, 
I write a lot of letters to God and in that I just kind of, I teach people how to journal mm -hmm. and the art of journaling. And then I also now offer um, a call for stories where I have people to express themselves through their stories and authoring their stories and writing them in my books. We are caring for ourselves out here in these communities. <laughs> <laughs> Nita's motto is free the minds of the people and the people will heal. Her goal is to stop stigmas, bring a better support system to the underserved, and allow those in silence to become the authors of their stories. To find Nita, reach out to her on Twitter, at ReconnectingROC. Be sure to check out that's anitalive.com for where and when to see our next episode.